Hi, I'm Lauren McLean, and welcome to Mentoring Nature Connections. I'd like to start by taking a moment to acknowledge the traditional territories we each find ourselves on today. For me, I live on Heritage Mountain in Port Moody, British Columbia. I overlook the Burrard Inlet, which is a coastal fjord beginning at the Strait of Georgia in the Pacific Ocean. This is the land of the Coquitlam First Nations. Land acknowledgement is not just a part of our BC curriculum. It's an act of truth and reconciliation, and it continues to be a journey that I'm committed to learning more about. So thank you so much for joining us today. And because today's topic is about collaboration, I wanna ask you a favor. Take a photo of the view you have right now and upload it to social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and tag it with the hashtag MentoringNatureConnections. And when you tag it, please let us know where you're coming from, because we all know that context and place has a big impact on our perspective. I'd also like to ask you to please take a moment to review us on Apple Review. With your feedback, I will be able to better align the topics to your questions and passions. Alana T72 recently wrote, This podcast is so inspiring. Listening to her guests has given me new ideas to consider and wonders to explore with my learners and has challenged me to continue to push my own thinking about the possibilities that lie in outdoor learning. So thank you, Alana T72. I appreciate hearing how the podcast guests are supporting and provoking your own learning journey. Today's guests will be equally as inspiring, I promise. Through Zoom, we have Sinead Joy and Erin Reed to talk with us about their adventures with creating school-wide outdoor learning bins. They created six bins to cover an array, excuse the pun, of mathematical concepts, number sense, addition subtraction, visual spatial, financial literacy, patterns, and measurement. Check out the podcast notes for more descriptions on what was included in each bin. I thought this would be the perfect time of year to air this episode. The start of the year is always full of excitement and planning for how we can support our learners' adventures outdoors. Sinead is a French immersion kindergarten teacher and has taken the Forest Schools Practitioner course. Erin was previously working at the same school as the French and English resource teacher. She now works as a mentoring support teacher for the district. So thank you both for being here today by Zoom and representing the larger school team that was involved in creating these outdoor learning bins. How are you both doing? Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to be here with you on your podcast. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Erin. Good to see you both again. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a little bit of fun with this. I hope so. Now, I'd like to start by asking you to give us a little background about your school setting and context. Well, really, the forest is right next to the school, just beyond the border of the school. So we're surrounded by forest. And um, I think as a staff really believed in some place-based learning and really wanted to take advantage of our local forest and our local river uh, and bring our kids outside as much as possible. So because staff members were already exploring with place-based learning, were they looking for a way to maybe make more ties with the curriculum or... What were they looking for? What was the purpose of creating these outdoor learning bins? As a staff, we're so fortunate to have Sinead as our leader in outdoor education. And she really um, modeled so many ways for us to get outside with our students and um, broke down barriers for teachers who might have been reluctant or hesitant to get outside. She really showed a lot of ways to go out with their class. And she always volunteered herself to go out with any class to 
um, help everyone feel safe and help everyone have success outdoors. And so a lot of our staff members were going outside, um, thanks to Sinead's support with that. And then I think Sinead and I wanted to go a little bit deeper with some curricular pieces outside. And so sort of the, the outdoor play and exploration and, and free movement was in place with a lot of our staff members. And we're trying to weave in some curriculum with that as well. Yeah, it, 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 when I first came to the school, it, it surprised me that we were in a forest setting and not really taking advantage of that. Um, uh, again, just with the support of the admin as well, you know, so of course it's the forest, you know, take your class out, make sure you have your volunteers and, and whatnot. But I'll, I'll admit that the first year I went into the little forest, which is right next to the school, we played in there and it was amazing. Like, I just remember that first time taking one of the kids out in five minutes into the forest, he takes my hand and he says, can we go back inside now? I'm done. And it, uh, that same kid at the end of the year, you know, full mud gear, head to toe, climbing, you know, within his, 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 his safety net. But yeah, just that willingness to, um, to go out and explore and, and, and take on um, more adventurous learning. And I think, you know, other staff saw what my class was having an opportunity to do and, and uh, were a little bit more uh, aware and, and willing to, to come out and play as well. Um, it always feels a little bit like, um, I don't know, using the forest as your, as your second classroom is, is a little bit of an, I don't know, I guess the word I'm looking for is like an, an easy way, but actually what you're teaching the kids when you're out there is, is skills and problem solving and a whole bunch of other things that when you're in the classroom and it's a safe and it's contained area, the kids aren't really using their skills to the best of their abilities. But if you take them outdoors, they have a whole, they have a different opportunity. They have different chances to kind of explore and test and, and try and learn without necessarily that confine of, of safety. And so they learn a lot more from that. Well, now I'd really like to ask you about how you manage safety in the forest. What are the hazards you need to be aware of? Bears, cougars, holes in the ground. And what are the expectations for the learners? Um, I think the, the first thing that I do is, is take the kids outside on the school, school grounds. And we talk about, um, you know, listening for whistles. If there's animals present, we have a three whistle system, three long blasts and the kids know to walk, come back to us. So we practice on site. We practice, um, you know, being visible and being able to see the teacher at all times. We practice lots of things. Um, and then we go to the small forest where, we, again, we practice that, that piece of, okay, if you're going to explore something, you have to know what is your limit. So if you want to climb a tree, you have to climb it knowing that you're able to come back down yourself, right? So there's a lot of the independent skills that I teach long before we go into the forest. Part of that also is educating the kids and their parents about what to wear when we go to the forest, right? If we're going, you got to make sure that they have that they have uh, rain gear that's appropriate, um, that they have a change of clothes in the classroom if we have any things like that. 
Um, another issue would be, you know, using, using the washroom. If they, you know, we try and make sure that we do that before we leave. But again, if it happens in the forest, how do we manage it within the safety? Um, but the main thing for safety with little ones is, is, is making sure you have enough parent volunteers so that, you know, that's manageable. Um, what else do we do? Oh, and then there's the bit about walking to the forest and back. So we have road safety that we have to teach and how to cross the road. And, and it's all of these things are taught before we actually go to the forest and play. Um, you asked about animals. Yeah, I mean, we have bears at the moment. There's a cougar population that's circulating. Um, but it can also be things like spiders and bugs because they can be scary for kids who haven't got that experience outside. Um, and, and then just generally the safety of if you're going to do something and you're by water, how do you, you know, maintain, um, I guess, the, the, you know, um, I, I have to tell a funny story. <laughs> um, the first, not the first year, it was the second year we would go and there was a parent and she's a great mom and she's super careful. But she would stand by the river, her arms out, and she would say, no, nobody can go near the river. And I thought, how are they going to fish? How are they going to look for things that are in the water? How are they going to, you know, race their sticks down the river? And, and so, you know, it took a little bit of, of um, education as well with the parents about what we consider safe and what they consider safe and, and what we consider um, learning opportunities. That's such an important piece, um, educating our community. Erin, would you also like to speak to safety and expectations? Uh, another component, too, that um, is really important for the safety is after all that pre-teaching that Sinead's talked about uh, on site is done, that when the students are actually in the forest, that um, the boundaries are, are, are visible. And so sending parents to certain areas or teachers to certain areas of the forest so students can see like that's how far they can go and leaving those adults in those areas around the forest so kids know how far they can go and how far um, what's like a safe area to roam freely within that zone. It's also going to add to that um, in the event of wind and um, the forest that we're in has trees that fall and so that is an area of concern. So although we like to go to the forest rain or shine and even in torrential rain, that sometimes wind will prohibit us from visiting the forest because uh, we would hate for a tree to fall upon anybody. So that is an area that does sometimes stop us from hitting into the forest. Um, we do actually have a handbook that's been written for the school. So um, I've gone through um, the forest um, with my notebook or, or, or whatever it is. And, you know, we do site appraisals beforehand and we look assessments of the local area. Um, obviously when we get there, you know, one of the teachers has a quick look around just to make sure that, you know, there's no animals present, that there aren't any other people or dogs or things like that available. But um, yeah, the, the, the handbook is, is helpful for new staff or for parents, but I think also, that, um, you know, in terms of, of safety, I also carry a backpack and so do any other teachers going. The backpack has a first aid equipment in it, but it also has things like spare socks in case somebody's 
uh, goes into the river, um, it has extra rain gear or warm clothes for, for that reason as well. It also has, I had water and I have, you know, this year I have hand sanitizer and gloves and whatnot, but I have snacks, you know, things that in case somebody is, I don't know, they could be diabetic, they could be, they just didn't eat enough or whatever it is. There's, there's things in there. Um, teachers all wear the reflective vests so that um, anybody in the forest will recognize us as the leaders and they can come in and, 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 and speak with us if there's any other problems. Um, but yeah, and really, by the time we get to the forest, you know, school starts in September, it's mid to late October by the time we get there. So we have practiced lots of safety procedures um, before we even get to the forest. Erin, anything else you'd like to add about the wagons? It's been working or has worked with the city and um, she's tried to reach out to the Quitlam First Nation about um, sort of the treatment of the land and things like that, which I don't know if Sinead, you'd feel comfortable talking about that or where you're at in that process at the moment, but um, that, that was quite a process that you, and you really did want to honor the land that we use quite regularly. So uh, anyways, do you want to talk about that Sinead or no? Um, I can say something briefly. Um, up until COVID, yeah, the process was was um, moving along, and then um, it just it became a little bit more challenging to to follow through with it. So um, I have there, and and again, there was a change in staff. But yeah, essentially, what happened was um, I was in contact with our school Indigenous worker, who got put me in contact with somebody from the the Coquitlam First Nations, and we talked a little bit about the history and the historical aspects of the land and what the land would have been used for, as well as um, my intent is to hopefully have and work with the city and the First Nation in terms of like um, acknowledging the land when we arrive at the forest and thanking the forest when we leave, which we do, but also looking at, you know, a little bit more of that in-depth learning of you know, um, with the both the you know the, the the kind of indigenous plants as well as what it um, what could have been there and how we can be um, helping or you know is essentially uh, I guess the word I'm, I'm I'm hoping to use is 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 stewards for the forest and that if we go back to the same place where we play all the time that we could have some stewardship with the um, the Kukulum. I think it's the city of Coquitlam Forestry Department. Um, that is currently on hold at the moment only because we wanted to meet in purpose person and lots of other things that happen in schools. So um, the other thing that I did find out is that there is a salmon enhancement project um, right there by the school and one and the man who runs it happens to live locally. So again, it's one of those things of when I have five minutes, I will get to that. But I think realistically, um, you know, it's it's time to delegate as well and, and see if there's other people interested in within the school. And, and you know, we had a bit of a, um, a change in staff. So hopefully um, somebody who, who's interested will be able to take on that salmon enhancement part as well. That's great. Thank you. Now, could I ask a bit more about the need and the desire to create these outdoor learning bins? 
Was it the chicken or the egg? Did the funding come first with the district numeracy project? Or did the staff already have the plan to create the bins and then you looked for funding to help support the journey? So the we're so fortunate because our school district had a numeracy initiative where they were um, offering to schools $500 um, to undertake an initiative that would be purposeful to their place. And with that, the school was encouraged to match uh, that $500 as well on spending for materials for the school. And so one of our colleagues approached us and thought, wouldn't it be really cool to do something like this? And wouldn't it be really neat for us to have like outdoor math activities because we have such a passion for outdoor ed and why couldn't we just um, do some more curriculum with that, with math and with this math initiative to take on uh, something like this? Um, I think part of it was the funding and part of it was it was a great way to encourage more staff outdoors, right? And so many of the primary staff were keen, already, you know, willing to come along, as Erin said earlier, like come along with me and, and, and test the waters in the, in the forest and, and all that. And then this initiative came up where, and it, what, the initiative itself wasn't about outdoor math. It was a numeracy. You could choose whatever aspect of it, but it, as, 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 as you said, that quite a lot of us have a passion for taking the kids outdoors. We live in this amazing forested area. Why wouldn't we? So we decided to do an outdoor math numeracy project. Um, and we used funds to buy outdoor sealed bins that wouldn't have, um, wouldn't let in water. And then with that, we also purchased, um, all sorts of like materials so we had like um compostable um it was really interesting they're like dinner plates so they have different sections in them but they can be used outdoors and they can be used many many times but eventually they will compost themselves back to the earth it was really neat so that way we could gather materials and we could sort it so we had a, a sorting project we had you know we were able to to make number lines and take them outside with hemp cords and you know um laminated numbers but then we had clothes pegs which had matching numbers so like maybe the the, the, the laminated cards had the actual digit on it but the the clothes pegs would have had another way of matching a number right and so it was you know for kids it was lots of fun um and when we did the bins we looked at a an area of interest, say for instance, patterning. And we created it so that it looked using the First Nations principles of learning. We also then looked at it in terms of, if we were looking at patterning for K and one, how could we extend that for grade two? And then how could we further extend that for grade three, four, and five? So that was our, our, our key is that whatever we made, we wanted it to, to be useful and applicable for all grades. And so anybody could use a bin and it would have the, the materials within it that, um, you know, and, and it had a, um, a lesson plan in it, but it, it gave you all the materials you required as well as a little bit more about what you were learning and, and, and how to, and to proceed. Um, 
the hope was that the materials you would use, quite a lot of it would be natural materials. So you would find it. So then it became less of a teacher driven process and it became much more student led so that, you know, if you needed to make patterns or if you were doing, um, you were building arrays or whatever it was that the, the students could gather the material from the forest or from the, the playground or from somewhere outside. So how I understand it is that you had the same learning intention progress throughout the grades from primary to intermediate. It's scaffolded. Could you give us an example of how many lessons would be included for the patterning bin, for instance? So we created lessons to go with each um, bin and our lessons sort of like our bins actually were focused around big ideas and curricular competencies in the curriculum for math. And so like we had um, probability, for example, and spatial reasoning and symmetry, um, financial literacy. And within that, we would have um, sort of one, one main lesson, but we had it written sort of for K1, for two, three, and for five. And so wherever a teacher would find themselves with their learners and the students that they were outside with, they could um, scaffold the lesson up or make it more complex in content um, and in um, competencies. So the, there would be sort of one main lesson for each bin, but it would be, there were scaffolded supports for K to five. So whatever grade went out, even if a grade two class went out with a grade five class, they could both engage in the same lesson, but with different sort of content expectations outside. Wonderful. Sinead, do you have anything to add? So basically what I wanted to say there is that if you had a student or a group of students who were more engaged and really got a lot from the lesson, it meant because the whole lesson was on one page that the teacher could extend within that lesson for those kids um, right there and there. Or if they recognized that the lesson concept was a little too advanced for someone, that they could adapt it um, for them in either up or down, I guess is the best way of putting that so that the materials were all there, but um, it was more for, you know, teaching the learner where they're at. Well, and I know, oh, sorry, Erin, did you want to add something? I was just going to add, like we, Sinead mentioned earlier that we did try to embed the first people's principles of learning within our lessons too, and tried to keep that at the forefront of our sort of play-based learning even though we're trying to weave math in with place-based learning and things like that that was still um, important for us to keep in mind as we were going through this and i was going to add to that um, we were so fortunate to work with lauren who is a um, numeracy mentor at the time and she helped us with the assessment pieces for that and, and how to do some learning trajectories and the assessment grids that would go along to support um, learning for k-5 to and outdoor bins and things like that so we're really fortunate to have Lauren's help with that as well. Oh, thanks for that. And yes, those learning trajectories for the assessment piece was a fun project to include in your bins. Could you tell us a bit about how you included the first people's principles of learning? So at the top of the page, we had all our core competencies, right? Oh. And then underneath that, we had the first people's principle of, of, of learning. And I think, you know, Part of that is, you know, a teacher could choose one or, or, se or several within that lesson. But like, for instance, I'm looking at a lesson here with repeated numbers and multiplication. And really, um, learning involves patience and time, right? When you're learning multiplication, it's part of the thing is it isn't easy mm -hmm. and you need to practice. 
Yeah. And I think that's a, a nice way of, of just putting it in terms of like, so even though it's repeated numbers and multiplication, for my kindergarten class, we're looking at, you know, skip counting. And yeah. so you look at flowers or you look at leaves and you can kind of look at, you know, how, how do they set it up? Or is it counting in, does your leaf look like it has groups of two or does it have groups of three? Right. So then you're learning this, the, the repeat patterning or the skip counting in that way. But like grade twos and threes would take it a little bit further and they could, um, it's using hula hoops or chalk circles and, you know, getting them to put different objects in those hoop circles and then, and then counting it from there and making arrays nice. right, and extending. So I just feel like, you know, so much of the, um, the first people's principles of learning is, is about that reflective or experiential learning part piece as well. Right. Right. Now, how often were these bins being used throughout the year? Did you receive any feedback from the staff? I think initially the bins were used by those who were involved in the project. So we had um, French Immersion K. We had grade one. Uh, oh, we also had English um, kindergarten classes. We had um, a grade one class, a French immersion grade one class. We had a couple of grade two, three classes and uh, a couple of grade four, five classes. Um, the, we didn't initially put it into French because teachers are quite capable of, you know, taking English materials and translating it right then and there on the hop, especially if it's something that you've already been teaching in the classroom. You know, it, it, there was nothing new that, that needed to be written in French, but it didn't preclude us from taking part because, you know, it's like anything else we do, like whether you do it in the classroom or you take it outdoors or, you know, you involve your children. There's a whole lot of vocabulary that can be applied and can be taught um, as you're doing it. Um, I think... The, you know, in its second year, I think, again, we tried to really boost it. But I think the problem we had was that we lost the space where we stored it. And so therefore, it became a little bit more of a, a problem in order to access. And then, of course, COVID hit. So, you know, people didn't want to share materials. So um, all the bins exist. And when we have opportunity and time again, we'll be able to put them back out for use. It would be so nice for everything to go back to normal that way. Erin, uh, your thoughts? I was going to say that we, um, sort of as a culminating activity, had an outdoor math morning at the end. So once our lessons were done and our bins were created, um, a number of staff sort of went outside and we sort of set up stations around outside and um, tried out all the different math bins um, with different groups of kids and, and asked for feedback from teachers on, on how that went and also sort of just exposed teachers to all the, all the different bins that we had created because you know they might have worked on one of the bins or heard about some of the bins but then this way they had the opportunity to live them all and ask questions as we were all outside together. Oh, that's a great idea to do it almost like a sports day rotation system. <laughs> So how else has COVID impacted outdoor learning time at your school? I actually think we go out more um, because of COVID. 
um, more staff are more comfortable teaching in the outdoors, whether they are using the materials from the bins or they've just kind of had the experience with teaching outdoors and it's given them more confidence. I haven't really, I haven't really done any, any kind of um, formal research or, you know, checking in with anybody about that. But to be honest, um, it, it's been incredible. And I think um, having had all those years of lead up to this point has been to our advantage and to, you know, it, it, it really has helped in, in uh, giving confidence to the teachers and, and to our students to be able to, you know, go outside and learn and, and understand that, you know, what you can learn inside the classroom can happen outside as well. So, you know, there's many, many negative things about COVID, but it really has given, um, it has been more motivating for, for teachers to take their kids outside. That's so wonderful to hear and such a positive note to start wrapping up our time together. I always like to end by asking if you have a novelty nature note that you like to share with everyone. So my son is the human encyclopedia for nature notes. And so this is right up his alley. So when Lauren, when I heard that you have a novelty nature note on your podcast, I called him today to be like, what am I sharing? What nature note am I sharing? So this is from my son. Jack, and here's the novelty nature note for you. That peregrine falcons are um, faster than Formula One cars. Uh, Formula One cars have a max speed of 386 kilometers, and peregrine falcons have a max speed of 389 kilometers when they're diving, which makes them the world's fastest bird. Nice one, Jack. Sinead, how about yourself? So according to Alistair, my son, if you are looking for a natural water filter, you use the yellow flower of the lily pad. Uh, Kieran, my other son, said that if you're lost in the jungle or the forest, you should always head downhill because that's where water tends to accumulate and that's where civilization tends to be. And my husband needed to tell me that uh, moss was a natural antiseptic used in the First World War. So there you are. I got three for the price of one. <laughs> wow, those were great. Thank you for sharing. Mine is about water because we talked a bit about the Coquitlam River in today's episode. I was reading that nearly half of Canada's rivers flow north into the Arctic Ocean or James Bay or the Hudson Bay. I just thought that was quite a large percentage. Well, Sinead and Erin, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experiences and expertise with us. Thank you so much for having us, Lauren. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you both tonight. Thanks for the invite. That was very uh, thoughtful of you. Um, it's always fun to work with both of you. And uh, yeah, I just wish people um, all the best when they head out into the forest and play. Just play. Yes, play indeed. Thank you again for being here. And thank you to everyone who is listening along with us please visit mentoringnatureconnections.ca where you can find resources, workshops, and can contact me with any suggestions or comments that you may have. Until next time, go get your hands dirty and have fun with Mentoring Nature Connections.